We're in that strange liturgical place as we face the coming of Thanksgiving with our wonderful cornucopia in the chancel. Thank you for those who did that. But also we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, which is the last Sunday of our liturgical year. This is December the 21st. I said that at 8.30. 31st. December 31st uh, for our church liturgical year. Next week, as Brianna said, we start again with the four Sundays of Advent into the Christmas season. This morning's passage is our lectionary text. It's one not often heard except during the Passion Week of Jesus' uh, enter into Jerusalem and then his crucifixion on Good Friday. It is a small and painful section from uh, the story of Jesus being mocked and crucified because he claimed to be, or his followers claimed that he was, king of the Jews. In our world where power and love often get misunderstood, may God open up to us an understanding of this word. It comes from the 23rd chapter of Luke. I apologize for the typo. Luke 23, verses 32 through 43. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. But the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, he can't save himself. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Luke's graphic description of the crucifixion of Jesus is about what happens to kings who cannot back it up with power and might. He was laughed at, scorned, mocked, and spit on, then crucified. King, as far as kingdoms go, what a joke. He cannot even save himself. 
But of course, the irony is that this is the great cosmic joke. What else is love but this? The Son of God does not save himself, and in doing so, he saves us. The great Son of God, Messiah, who could presumably call down legions of angels at his defense, dies and suffers. He subjects himself to complete shame and suffering and death and loves and forgives us still, dies in order to give us living, breathing, and even sometimes bloody life. This is the proof of God's love, and this is where the kingdom of God is found. It is from everlasting to everlasting. It is both in heaven, and it is even now present on earth. Only love and the power of love can claim this. Today we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of our year, and rejoice. we rejoice that the kingdom of God has come on earth, is at hand, in ways that we're not even aware of. Not in the literal, historical, final sense, but certainly in the real sense, in the mystical, spiritual sense. The kingdom of God is now at hand, Jesus said. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near, which were the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the gospel according to Mark. So near that we have the promise that neither life, nor death, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things past, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if we have eyes to see it, it's there. And ears to hear it, it resounds. This kingdom of God is based on love, and it therefore may not be what we expect or even think that we want. We want a kingdom that has real power, that can manage things and control things as the world defines it. It's the kind of kingdom we work for in our own lives when we are finally, ultimately honest with ourselves, however. You know that deep down integrity, honesty? Well, we are most alone and most vulnerable and most quiet in our heart of hearts underneath the stones of our own ego, underneath the briars of our own fears, that place where we are most homesick and longing and thirsty and hungry. For as Augustine said, we are restless until we find rest in God. That place, when we are honest, we might not think we want it, but we deep down know We need it. This is what we seek and what we are searching for as children of God, created in God's image, 
to reconnect to the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, who forgives us in all the many ways that we stand in need of it, and who embraces us when all we want to do is push away because we might be ashamed. A God who loves us when we think we are not lovable. The criminal on the cross What we want deep down is this, and not just for ourselves, but for the whole creation that is even now longing, excuse me, groaning in eager longing to be redeemed into the state that God intended at its first creation. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said, and we can say that in Jesus Christ, yes. So it asks the question, where? How do we find this? And the answer is usually in the very place that we do not want to go. We find it wherever life knocks us to our knees. And we find it where there is loss and guilt and shame and fear and hurt and brokenness, and we find there in the depths of our own condition, which is to say, we find there at the cross the very kingdom of God that we search for. There is no kingdom of God without a cross. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the persecuted, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who weep. For theirs is the kingdom of God, Jesus said. We find it in the hurt. We find it like that criminal on the cross found it, even before he was able to confess his sin. It, in fact, found him. Which one are we? Those two criminals? The one who accuses Jesus of not living up to the world's standards of power or the one who was able to accept Jesus' complete forgiveness even before he asked for it and in that forgiveness experience his own confession and ask Jesus to carry him with him. We find it like that criminal where we have bottomed out and when we have given up or when life or love has finally taken its toll and broken through the hard, brittle shells of our pitiful little egos. Has cracked our pride, penetrated our hubris, and left enough of a crack so the light can shine through. It just takes that much, just a crack. And while that crack may come at some seismic moment in life, it often comes in smaller aftershocks. The daily grind and the hours and moments when something shocks us and keeps poking its way into our prideful little place opening us up for something so much greater. Pride is an amazing thing. It has this like half-life to it, you know? I mean, it just, it just keeps on coming back. It's just, 
endurance. But until that slab of pride has been reduced to complete rubble, we become just as prideful in the fact that we aren't prideful anymore. Until we become as vulnerable and as weak as a little child, Jesus said, we will not come into the kingdom of God. Besides, who wants to go there? Who wants to be brought to their knees and opened up with the truth about ourselves and made to account for our lives? We might even have to start saying, I'm sorry. Yet it is the thing all of us not only most need more than anything, anything else. It is the thing we all will one day end up doing. You know how it works. We just don't like to take advice. There's something in us that doesn't like to be told what to do. I witnessed this clearly at a fishing trip in October when a father and his son were fishing together and he was trying to teach his son how to use a casting reel. It's the old reel with uh, that the line comes off of this way rather than this way, which is a spinning reel. And the problem with the casting reel is with a four-ounce sinker on the line and a big old piece of mullet, it's heavy, and you throw it out with a little pressure on that reel with your thumb. And if you don't put your thumb on the immediately when it hits the water, the fool a complete mess. So the father is trying to teach the 14-year-old son how to cast the reel. And the 14-year-old son is saying, I got this, Dad. I know how to do this, Dad. I got this. You don't have to teach me. And every time he'd throw it out, it would be another bird's nest. And after about an hour of this, finally the father, after being told, I got this, Dad, decided, okay, I'm going to let him do it on his own, and he can suffer the consequences. And I watched all this until the son, after the father left, threw it out again, and it was the biggest mess you have ever seen. And he walked over on a log, and he started trying to pull it apart, and he couldn't. And he's missing the fishing, and he's getting the consequence because he's too proud to ask for help. And he finally stands up and walks over to an older gentleman because he was too proud to come to his father. And he took his hat off in his hand, and he said, Can you help me fix this? That's us. We're too proud to go to our knees. We're too proud to be vulnerable. We're too proud to open up the thing in us that we are most afraid someone might actually see about us. And then, wow, they'll know. It's the grace of God that knocks us to our knees, of course. That's grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch. Kingdom of God is at hand. And it's a hard place to go. But so is growing up.
involves suffering and pain and vulnerability, but so does love. A friend of mine in seminary was sort of lost. His faith wasn't great. He didn't know why he was there, and so he sought out some counseling with a therapist, a really good therapist, who was that incarnate presence of Christ to him, letting him know that no matter what his life was, that he still loved him and that he was still a child of God. And after three years of weekly therapy with this therapist, my friend says his goodbyes, they hug, he's walking out the door, and the therapist says, one last thing. My friend turned around, and the therapist said, I'm way more messed up than you are. Can you imagine a God who chooses to come into that condition with us? 